My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And welcome to episode zero of Real Lich Hours, our Baldur's Gate 3 podcast. Yeah, the name isn't a pun on anything. It's just a fun thing to say. Yeah, it's just, it's real lich hours. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, let's go do lich things. Uh, yeah. This is exciting. I got to tell you, I'm nervous because this is different than things that, we, that we've done before. But also, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It feels good to stretch. Mm-hmm. You know, let's try it. Yeah. Uh, and if it doesn't work, we can always go back to some same old shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all waiting there for us. <laughs> yeah, just uh, yeah. Uh, just joking. I think it'll be A-OK. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this uh, first episode is not like normal episodes. This is a primer, uh, talking a little bit about the history and getting people up to speed with uh, expectations for the format. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as Gary said, we're covering Baldur's Gate 3 here, and we're going to be doing that for a while. Uh, because this uh, is a very oh my God. broad and dense game. Well, and we're so we're taking this at a pace mm-hmm. uh, because of the structure. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea here is to do this a little bit like a magazine, right? So you know, about an hour a week, uh, and we will have segments where we're talking about basically a let's play, yeah, of uh, of our respective journeys. Uh, through Baldur's Gate 3. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not bonfireside chat. We're not looking to cover a major area every single time. We're going to zoom in on the world and characters and systems. Right. Uh, so this show, uh, like The Level, has segments. Yeah. Um, yeah. First first time we've done that. Although Watch Out for Fireballs has generalities and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, yeah. We, we're, we're, do, we're doing a bunch of different stuff. And we are taking, we're taking the segment titles and kind of concepts from Dragon Magazine and some of the other, uh, you know, publications. Old D&D books. Old D&D books, yeah. Yeah. So things like um, if we're talking about a, uh, talking about our characters or doing a close-up on a character class, Mm -hmm. uh, how they work in Baldur's Gate 3, um, we'll call that the player's handbook. Um, You know, we'll have a a fiend folio section where we talk about one of the monsters, uh, stage advice where we talk about tactics, strategy Mm -hmm. for the game, things like that. Yes. Um, There will be kind of rotating set of topics so not every episode will have every segment mm-hmm. um this is patterned uh, very much after dragon magazine yeah so figured, yeah. figured that'd be a fun uh of a, a fun thing to give a shot anyway yeah yeah, yeah. so just uh you know to set expectations the let's play portion is slow uh, mm-hmm. it's a dense fucking game uh but we're here for everything yeah we're here for for a very zoomed out and a very holistic discussion Right. The Baldur's Gate 3 yeah. uh, next week, because this episode uh, <laughs> is going to be talking about uh, Larian, the, the studio that mm-hmm. uh, brought us this game, the Forgotten Realms, the setting and the Baldur's Gate series uh, that leads up to this. Right. Uh, why us? Um, yeah. And then we can talk about why this game. Uh, so if you're just tuning in, you know, a lot of people tell us, oh, I found your shows because it, I just did a search for video game name plus podcast. If you did, welcome. Um, but why us, what are our credentials here? Anything like this? We've been podcasting about games for 13, 12, 12, 13 years now. Something like that. Uh, and you know, we've talked a bunch about D and D related stuff kind of in the margins of that. Um, uh, our primary show is watch out for fireballs. It's like a book club, but for games, uh, we've talked about, uh, not just Baldur's Gate two specifically, uh, but also Neverwinter Nights two. Um, uh, Planescape Torment. Uh, Plan- Planescape Torment. Things that are related to uh, like official D&D setting kind of stuff. Excellent video games on their uh, in their own right. Um, yes. but, but we've also done Monster on My Podcast, which was a real fun show to do, uh, where for one of the seasons we went through every monster in the Monstrous Manual uh, for second edition. 
Yes. Uh, and just kind of riffed on them. Yeah. You know, said what they did and then made jokes. Yeah, made jokes, uh, yes. <laughs> we, we also have a uh, personal history with D&D. It's mm-hmm. worth getting out here. Like, there are people who have way stronger personal oh, histories yeah. with D&D yeah. than both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I currently uh, have an ongoing tabletop game, but we very rarely have played D&D itself. Um, I've just played a lot of D&D in my life. Yes. Um, it, it's been kind of a background uh, obsession and interest mm-hmm. since I was uh, maybe in like eighth grade or so. A, a great time to get into D&D. Sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, and uh, specifically uh, since most of the games take place in the Forgotten Realms and a lot of the literature does, mm-hmm. uh, this specific setting, which may as well be like kind of the default setting for D&D yeah. um, and officially is uh, mm-hmm. now, um, is something that we both have a lot of traction with. Yeah. So like I mostly did tabletop gaming and playing D and D back in high school, like sophomore mm-hmm. year with, uh, with, with, with group of folks, uh, haven't done any really since then, but I love getting the books and I love reading them. Uh, the source books as well, but also like back in middle school and high school read, uh, a, a lot of the, uh, R.A. Salvatore, other forgotten realms kind of books of varying quality, but you know, that's the right time and place for those. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not here to, to go to bat about R.A. Salvatore actually being a forgotten master. Right. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. Weird villain turn for the show. Uh, you know, there's pleasure to that. Yeah. Uh, stuff. But, uh, you know, we're the, the idea here when we say like why this show and why, why this game and stuff, it's not necessarily that the Forgotten Realms or that Dungeons and Dragons is the most, uh, like a, an under, underappreciated classic. No. You no. know, nor is it something that is the height of the form. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there are crunchier and more interesting fantasy settings. Yes. And stuff. Uh, they didn't have the best game of 2023 come out about them. Yeah. That's also the uh, thing. Why this show? Is why this show and why 3? now? Yeah. yeah. Like it, it's a D&D has cultural saturation right now at a level that it never has mm-hmm. uh, before uh, in, in for lots of reasons, you know, at least in part because of critical role, which I've never listened to. Yeah. Uh, I know people have strong opinions on that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you can go into Target and buy a Dungeon Master's Guide. Yes. Was not always the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, dingy game shops for my right. whole life. Yeah. Um, uh, Stranger Things has a big, yes. uh, big role in that as well. Um, uh, you know, all the big monsters and stuff. When we say Mind Flyer, we're not talking about whatever that thing made out of dark gum is or whatever. <laughs> you know, we're talking, we're talking about Mind, mind Flayers from yeah, this. Classic but, uh, mind flayers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of brought a lot of D&D terminology, I think, to the, you know, to the forefront, right? Yeah. Um, and, and again, Game of the Year 2023, massive, huge success uh, on the tip of a lot of people's tongues um, yes. and worthy of all of that accolade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a rare game. You know, we talk, talked about this when we pitched the show. You know, we did Bonfireside Chat in part because a game came out that was so good that we had to podcast about it. Yeah. Um, in trying to size up Baldur's Gate 3 for a regular episode of our flagship show, Watch Out for Fireballs, we kind of realized that was not going to fucking work. Right. Um, it, it is too big uh, and there's too much there. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is exceedingly good. Yeah. Um, setting a bias, you know, I want for people who listen to this, uh, you know, who out there right now i am coming at this from basically the perspective that this game is a masterpiece um Mm -hmm. i i really 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 loved it uh there are things that could do better and there are things that are not specifically to my taste Mm -hmm. but this is not an objective look yeah uh at that at that game um this for me at the very least is 100 a love letter yeah um it keeps giving like in preparing for my second playthrough i found stuff i didn't find in my first playthrough Mm mm-hmm 
And like, it just, it feels very generous and lovely to me. Yeah. Um, it's what I want to see from games. It has you know, player reactivity and depth of uh, detail. Mm-hmm. That is uh, my favorite shit. Uh, yeah. I think there's something, you know, it, it may not be like the absolute best game ever made or what have you. I'm coming from a, basically the same place as you. Mm. Uh, this is a masterpiece, I believe. And there's something here for everybody uh, or for most people, I think. Yes. Um, and, uh, I think that's pretty rare. You know, if you're here for story and companion stuff, that's here. If you're here for, yes. for, uh, for immersive sim tactical kind of stuff, that's here. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's a pretty wide gamut actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. Story is great. You know, mm-hmm. like really good character work. Uh, there is a gay vampire who's so hot that he made like CNN. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hot and horny that it made the news. When's the last time you were hot and horny enough that it got picked up in the news? You don't even end up on the, on the back of the weekly paper in the diner, man. Uh, when when you're hot and horny, this yeah. is somebody who made national news, like international horny. Uh, just uh, just to an incredible level. Yeah. Um, in terms of how we're putting this out, this is a premium show, so this is going to going forward uh, going to be for members of our Patreon. Uh, we mm-hmm. are listener supported. We do this full time for people who are new. Um, we put out something basically every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it is a lot of work and we would not be able to do it without listener support. We don't run yeah. ads. Right. Um, you know, so the first uh, couple episodes, you know, maybe, uh, you know, two or three mm-hmm. are going to be out for everybody so you can get a taste. Um, but then it's going to be for patrons um, right. at the $5 a month level. So buck 25 per week. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not here to tell you what $5 should be worth to you, but you, in addition to getting real lich hours, you also get every other one of our shows that's at $5, mm-hmm. a ludicrous amount of content. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, and everything like, Hey, you know, buck 25 per episode. That's, uh, wait a couple of months and then get, get those bad boys at once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah also. Like, okay. With yeah. us. But I, I think that in terms, even just what you get yes. per week is, yeah. is probably pretty good value. Yeah. Um, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and just, uh, like find a little bit before we get into the body of this, um, you know, in terms of credits, uh, we want to shout out, uh, Gwen Sadek, who is our producer for mm-hmm. one, uh, who edits the show and edits all of our shows, yeah. uh, but also composed our theme music yeah. for this, uh, yeah. has composed music for three of our shows so far. And what's really awesome is like how each of them has kind of evolved a little bit. Yeah. Like this is so much more intricate than the other ones that have also been very good, but just yes. in a different style. Uh, it's great to have like a reliable person who is talented. We can go to for these very different kind of sounds. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and big thanks to Jaden Dale yeah. uh, who did our show art, which big. evokes uh, basically exactly what we wanted it to evoke. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a scudgy goblin aesthetic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a, a cool lich and then us two knuckleheads, you know, yes. being raised, doing lich stuff with them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even though there are no liches in this game. Uh-huh. Well, you know, it, it's a, yeah, there's liches in the setting and, you know, who knows what the future brings. Don't, don't forget the, the lich queen of, uh, of the, oh, uh, Gith, Gith Yankee. He's yeah. kind of a lich. Yeah. I, you know, that's a count. <laughs> uh, there'll be links to these, uh, these creators. Yes. In the uh, the show notes, if you want to support them, yes, which you do, you do. Um, so let's start by talking about Larian Studios, the people who made uh, Baldur's Gate Three. Yes, uh, this is a, a Belgian studio formed in 1996 by uh, Sven Vinky, uh, who has a fun to, fun to say name, mm-hmm. uh, Vinky, yeah. uh, who is the lead director on all the big hits. Right. Larian has done. 
Yeah. Um, they started working on RPGs in earnest back in 2002 with Divine Divinity, uh, which is a weird game. Uh, you've yep. played this, is that correct? I have. Yeah. yeah. It was um, back in the day, Walmart used to sell $10 jewel case PC games, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes doubled. Like you'd get Fallout 1 and 2 for 10 bucks. It's wow. crazy. Um, you know, now that they're free because, <laughs> you know, but back in the day, that was, that was a great deal. Yeah. Um, I picked this up from, from one of those at some point and it didn't gel with me. Like I didn't play very much of it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's currently downloaded on my computer now okay. to give it another shot. Uh, but what's interesting about it is kind of following trends at the time. Uh, it is a Diablo style game, Yeah. but, uh, you know, if you just look at a screenshot, it looks like Diablo, but there are more interesting kind of CRPG classic stuff inside it. Uh, you know, there are conversation trees in it. So it's like Mm -hmm. Diablo with a dialogue system. There are non-combat skills you need to use. There are branching story choice things. So even though it controls like Diablo, it is still doing some of these more classic computer role-playing game things. Yeah. It's not just tappa, tappa, tappa and go through the, uh, the loot slot machine. Yeah. Yes. It's not randomized, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, and the immersive SIM DNA, which is a big part of, uh, what makes Larian's games work and what makes Baldur's Gate 3 work uh, was there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like you could move geometry items around. Yes. In there. The, the, the reactivity, the tactical kind of potential for that was much lesser. Yeah. It's a game from 2002. It's hard but, to do that in real time as well. Yeah. Yeah. What, one of the things that, you know, I took from researching Larian was that it is a, you know, they built upon every previous success. Mm-hmm. Um, it all shows up in this kind of apotheosis project, yes. a little bit like Elden Ring. Yeah. yeah. That's a good comparison, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, and Divine Divinity did pretty well. Yeah. Like, it, it's not, uh, you know, in a really, really small pond, but it did okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that kind of became a series, right? Yes. Um, uh, there were these weird offshoots like Dragon Commander. What's Dragon Commander, Gary? Uh, it's a hybrid, uh, if, I, if I know, if I recall. Like a hybrid uh, jousting dragon game and kind of RTS mm-hmm. thing within this. Yeah. Um, you do dragon jousting. Nice. Uh, and control a dragon. Uh, uh, if I recall, like I've never played that one. I've got the Big Larian bundle because mm-hmm. uh, of course I do. But yeah, yeah not, yeah. not a scholar of their studio. Uh, <laughs> I, I jumped in with uh, their next kind of breakthrough. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that breakthrough was uh, Divinity Original Sin. Yes. Um, and, uh, that was released in 2014 as part of a Kickstarter campaign. God, I forgot yep. that was like, that felt too, too big to be a yes. Kickstarter game, but that was, that was part of that wave of like early 2010s, massive, uh, RPGs, CRPGs being revived through crowdfunding. Yeah. 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 And the, and them doing this was a big deal. Um, them moving to crowdfunding. Right. Uh, you know, previous to this, they never hit, you know, all of their other games were fine, but never a big hit. And they were always kind of reliant on, you know, on capital uh, mm-hmm. for this. Um, they did this Kickstarter, you know, it was a huge success. If it wasn't, we have kind of a, an apocryphal Final Fantasy situation. Yeah. Um, they, the budget for this game to make it was more than twice of what the cash they had on hand. Mm-hmm. Like they could not have done this. Yeah. Uh, if, if the Kickstarter failed or if the game was not a success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but fortunately for us, like both were smashing successes. Yes. Um, this is their fastest selling game. Um, and it is really good in its own right. Like Mm -hmm. it is one of those games that is obviated a little bit by divinity original sin two. 
Yes. Um, but Divinity Original Sin 1 is a wonderful video game. Mm-hmm. Like, is for the time, you know, it's sea change kind of shit. Yeah. And uh, has a lot of, like, really, really clever and good encounters. There's tons of art in that game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, big things that I did. You know, it's, it's turn-based, right? Um, yes. You know, turn-based tactical uh, as compared to Divine Divinity being the real-time Diablo-like. Uh, also, there was an emphasis on co-op for this one as well. Yes. Uh, being able to run the game with a buddy. Yeah, uh, a big part of the Baldur's Gate experience that we probably won't talk about very much during this Pro- entire series. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Neither um, of know, us maybe, are big multiplayer yeah. co-op people. Yeah, we'll have uh, maybe we'll have Will on for an episode to talk about his co-op experience. Yeah, he's doing like, that a with special John. segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that'd, that'd be uh, Will is another uh, host on the network mm-hmm. for people who are new and uh, one of my my close friends. Yeah, writes for the AV Club. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so this set the stage for Divinity Original Sin Two, which, if you want to hear our thoughts on that, we covered that. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of our shows, watch out for fireballs, um, on episodes three eleven and three twelve. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a stone cold classic. Uh, it's, it's in my top 25 games. I love divinity original sin too. Yeah. Uh, it is exceedingly good. And the DNA between that and Baldur's gate three is absolutely direct. Right. Uh, so much so that I would say if you have finished Baldur's gate three and you're not like moving on to a different playthrough, uh, to see different content or play a different class, divinity original sin two is an amazing way to go. Um, the the concept of being able to play as these origin characters who also happen to be, uh, recruitable, uh, companions that you can get Mm -hmm. is, uh, is laid out in that. And most of the origin characters in that are really good too. Yeah. Uh, they're uh, kind of knack that they have yeah. for, for good, interesting character concepts mm-hmm. uh, comes through yeah. there. It's also, uh, I, by a hair, I prefer that combat system. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the story I don't like as much as Baldur's Gate 3 and mm-hmm. the scope of the adventure, but I think in terms of pure tactics to go, yeah. uh, I think it's a, a little bit more to offer for the pure tactics to go. Yeah. Uh, which I am. <laughs> um, the uh, Baldur's Gate 3 had a really, really long development process and really long period of early access yes so three years in early access mm-hmm. uh that's uh, a long time that's a very long time and that also is kind of a caveat there are there are people who have been playing this from the beginning yes uh, there are major changes that have been made uh as a result of the feedback that larian took and incorporated uh kind of as part of this very you know mutually beneficial relationship between the community uh, and the developer, uh, we're probably not going to be able to talk about all those changes because I never touched this in early access. I waited until it was full 1.0. It, it was one of those, the, the, uh, the contradiction, right? The catch 22 of, I knew I was going to play this. Yeah. So I wanted the full version. I didn't want to have to start over, even though I wanted to support it. Yes. You know? Um, so yeah, I didn't end up playing this in early access either. Yeah. Um, further that kind of mutability continues. Um, mm-hmm. this game is still being supported. No. And there are patches. There are things that are going to change. That is something to keep in mind for the, the coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, if we say, hey, this glitched out for us and that glitch got fixed later, that's going to happen. Yeah. 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 Um, but what this kind of set up is this idea of uh, fans giving direct feedback after mm-hmm. playing. Um, and this stuff was really drastic. Yeah. Like they had an entirely different UI yep. for, for the system. And, you know, and fan feedback was like, this wasn't very good. And they started over. Mm-hmm. from scratch like they realized these were the people who were going to buy their games right you know? yeah 
And, you know, this also was a matter of, uh, like some, you know, the characters that we got playable, you know, companions, you know, a few of them were just, uh, you know, people that you encountered, uh, they were, you know, people that you did quests for or were involved in quests and fans were like, Hey, like they're, they're really cool. Can we like promote them to be, you know, just expand that. So like, that's how we got, uh, Carlac. That's how we got Halson, right? Halson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, they also, uh, did big person personality changes yeah like them. gail used to be way different yeah yep uh very specifically will used mm-hmm. to be very different as well um maybe at some point mm-hmm. that'll be a segment in the future like it'd be interesting to look back on kind of alpha versions yeah. of some of the characters uh but uh that's to be seen yes there. um so this paid off you know this idea of being very generous and like listening to to the fans paid off mm-hmm. uh this game is a universal success yeah uh um, 96 currently on metacritic uh, yep. which feels bad citing that as like, Hey, this is success or whatever. But like, I don't know, this is Larian punching above their weight in terms of, you know, going straight up against like tears of the kingdom, you know, these yeah. massive games that have come out. Yeah. Uh, and this got like a bunch of perfect tens from reviewers. Like this is, this is universally lauded. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they did a cool thing. And if you want to see a little bit about that, uh, there's a YouTube series called By Design that Danny O'Dwyer uh, does, where he interviewed a lot of people and kind of talked like, how does this kind of game come up? Mm-hmm. Um, that was a discourse for a while. For people in the future, discourses were things we did when we hated ourselves. <laughs> we, we'd go on, we'd go on uh, Twitter uh-huh. and we'd start uh, what's known as a discourse, and nobody liked it. Nope. And we all just hated ourselves for a while, and then logged off feeling worse. Yeah, yeah. We are under so, a we are under a off or takes. Yes, uh, and one of the things was, hey, this is so successful. Does this set an unrealistic expectation for for video game studios? Shit like that, no. like just dumb clickbaity stuff that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it was real dumb, yeah. but it, it begged the question, like, how does this happen? Because most studios don't have the budget and, and, and kind of the time and don't end up making things. Most studios of this size don't end up making things of this immediate breakthrough and quality, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so it was worth asking why. Yeah. Yeah. So. And you know, the why was really just extremely good collaboration and a whole lot of institutional knowledge. Yeah. Uh, th- this idea that uh, Larian, on average, has a lot less turnover mm-hmm. um, than some game studios. So people who had worked on their early games, you know, we talked about Sven, uh, was there from the start and had mm-hmm. a hand in this the same way he had a hand in 2002's Divine Divinity. So these kind of lessons that you would learn from you know developing these games, it all kind of piles up. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is a, a Danny puts it entirely at you know, almost entirely at institutional knowledge. And it sounds mm-hmm. plausible to me. Yeah. You know, uh, that's really cool. Like they kind of led to this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like a great work culture yeah. to me. Uh, like they value their people a lot. Um, it, this is a hard thing to research because game devs will lose jobs uh, mm-hmm. if they talk shit yep. and stuff. Like we, every once in a while we get whistleblowers, but for, you know, generally yeah. uh, knowing the specifics outside of a couple of real big, horror show companies mm-hmm. and we don't get to know this but like looking on Glassdoor uh, they got a four out of five mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty good yeah you know it's not perfect but <laughs> I don't you know I don't know very many companies that are perfect yeah 
uh, for that. This stands in stark contrast to a lot of Western developers, which have, you know, for decades now taken the Hollywood model, yes. which is, you know, the majority of the people that you bring in, even, uh, you know, just uh, like design lead, you know, kind of folks, people making big decisions uh, are brought in almost at this uh, kind of like interim basis, right? We hire you for the project. You work on it until it's just about complete. You know, maybe you'll make it to the end and get your name in the credits, but we're going to flush you down the toilet uh, by the time this ships to a skeleton yep. crew to work on the DLC or post-release uh, support uh, as we are in pre-production for another game where we're going to repeat the cycle over again. With Lair- somebody else. Yeah, yeah, with, with other people. Yeah. Yeah, which is why there are these kind of narrative and mechanical strands yeah. here. Uh, same people mm-hmm. worked on them. Uh, that I I have I don't have an a, a, a experience in my life that is similar to that where I can say for sure. Mm-hmm. Intuitively, that sounds... Like that's a recipe for success. Yes. Yeah. Think about how Duckfeed suffered when we replaced you. <laughs> oh shit! Was, I was remembering <laughs> the future again. Uh, <laughs> oh, not to make everything a comparison to Dark Souls, but it's hard to yeah. do when that's our other big show. But like you know, compare this to From Software, where yeah. so much of the personnel are people who have been around since the Kingfield Kingsfield days, right? It's exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, so that's that's a kind of a basic primer on Larian. Um, this game takes place, unlike everything else they had done, this mm-hmm. is using a license yeah. uh, and a mechanical license, weirdly. Um, this game takes place using the Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition rule set. Yeah. We don't need to give you an introduction to D&D. We did a whole uh, Watch Out for Fireballs episode as a uh, yep. like a, a special about it. Uh, but also this is, you know, just in the air, like, you know, Gary Gygax, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, uh, but we should talk about fi- like 5e basics a little bit and how Baldur's Gate 3 models it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, generally pretty accurately. Yeah. Uh, there. But by uh, laying everything out on a board from overhead it becomes a more tactical game than it is at the table. Yeah. Uh, in my experience, like you can play 5e with miniatures mm-hmm. and such, um, but it, it is a game that lends itself to theater of the mind. Yeah. Um, this is much more concrete mm-hmm. than that. Um, and something we talk about a lot in our shows in general, uh, and talk about just with media, mm-hmm. uh, is the idea of a good dungeon master. Yes. Non-horny. <laughs> um, the uh and, and a good dungeon master uh is you know if you're playing a game that is your your partner playing the game who is setting things up and a good dungeon master says yes mm-hmm. uh to things and the quest of a good video game dungeon master has always been how much yes can we say within the constraints of a computer game right you know uh and larian did the best job so far on record of making a video game that is a great dungeon master. Yeah. In that way. It, it, it's really remarkable the amount of weird shit that they account for, not just in terms of like systems interacting with each other, you know, taking something from D- Divinity Original Sin where you can like uh, you know, coat a whole wa- uh, a whole area with water and then use like lightning, yes. uh, you know, these kind of environmental effects or whatever. Like you have a bunch of these systems that are working together in this kind of real clockwork, uh, but also just entertainingly chaotic way, but also like just 
voice lines for eventualities that you who would account for that for yes. I approached from this direction I talked to this person first I started I started the encounter this way versus that way um, I, it is hard to imagine exactly how much wargaming went through these different encounters to account for every single eventuality in order to make it so that it could address and acknowledge you know if not fully honor the choice that you made you know, and what what does that do, right? It lends to this feeling of immersion, mm-hmm. you know? And when people talk about immersion, a lot of times what they mean is there's not a HUD, you know, or, or graphics is pretty. But something that feels more immersive to me is a world that feels like it exists, you know, regardless of me. Yes. Like you are the, the obviously the mover and shaker mm-hmm. uh, in this world, but you are not locked into being shown a movie with author like authorial dominance mm-hmm. the same way you are with like a, a movie in this or, or a book. Uh, you know, in episode five of this, uh, I convinced somebody to give me something that I had already stolen <laughs> and the game accounts for that. Like they're just, you know, uh, th- really minor moment, just a line, but they mm-hmm. had to record that for that very weird edge case. Yeah. Yep. You know, uh, having that there, when you push up against the seams, having it be like, no, 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 no. Like that's still, you know, it reminds me a little bit of like Portal or Stanley Parable. Yeah. In that, like, you are, the, they've just accounted for stuff. Yeah. I'm going to try to look behind the wall. Like, no, no, that's still the set. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. you're never leaving the set. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're not, you're never outside the box. It's just a bigger box. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and what that allows for in play is a much more uh, creative and kind of uh, diverse approach to problem solving. Mm-hmm. For a thing. So uh, when we talk about the game saying yes or, you know, yeah, I accounted for that, we get the system stuff, we get the uh, dialogue stuff, and then we get the like, I need to get here. How do I do it? Well, mm-hmm. in real life, maybe I'd stack up these boxes. Yeah. You know, how many times in a video game have you, uh, and this is the reason why this ties into D&D 5e. I'll get to that in just a moment. That's asterisk that. Uh, how many times have you been playing a video game where you go up to a wall and you can't get over it and you're like, I could fucking get over that wall. Mm-hmm. This is stupid. Why am I going on this whole mission when I just have to like pull myself up over this wall? You know, one of the big appeals of Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop role playing games is that because they don't, it's not a computer, it's a good dungeon master. They can just say like, yeah, that'd work. Yeah. Okay. You know, and you, you work together to kind of explore what would happen. Mm -hmm. This game captures more of that flavor than other video games. Yes. And it does so by emulating tabletop, which is the, that is the main appeal of tabletop. Right. Uh, you do as you will is improvisation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so like five, five E as well, you know, it is not just like attack something that is, that that I think is really cool and maybe a little bit intimidating at at first is like the, the, the sheer number of different actions that you can take. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, it seems like every turn is, is like movement action, bonus action, right? That's what that, that, that's what, that's what you have. But like, it's not just move and attack. You can shove, you can dip your weapon in something, you can throw objects. So like, if you need to heal somebody through an emergency, like, well, I'm just going to throw this healing potion at them and it might do two points of damage to them as it breaks, but it's going to heal more than that. And that's going to be enough for them to get out of the situation. Yes. Yeah. You, you are solving problems. Yes. It's a, uh, it's worth uh, noting as well. Uh, neither of us play 5e mm-hmm. now. Um, we both own a bunch of 5e books and have read through them because we're 
goddamn huge dorks yes who who just want to read the book and then be like that, that'd be cool to play uh <laughs> back to our solitude um <laughs> yeah but this is not uh 5e advice and you mm-hmm. can go everywhere for that yeah I um know. dungeon and dragon saturation is at its peak mm-hmm. um there are a million youtubers um i'm a big fan of matt colville Mm-hmm. Uh, for that kind of stuff. Um, but you can find advice and things on, on the actual rules. Um, since we're going for the game, we're going to try to get stuff in the game uh, correct. And we're going for the flavor of these things, but it may not be the current uh, flavor because we're not necessarily, we're kind of doing an amalgam of the history of Dungeons and Dragons. Right. For some of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, specifically, when we move into kind of our next segment here, talking about the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Uh, this is the setting for Dungeons and Dragons. There have been other main ones. You know, 4E takes place in the Cursed Eberron. Uh, yes. There's Greyhawk. Um, a c- c- couple of different times. But, like, this broadly has been the main campaign setting um, uh, for a very long time. Uh, and, you know, like you said, episode 65 of Watch Out for Fireballs goes into the history of Dungeons and Dragons as, mm-hmm. uh, as we've gone. But the Forgotten Realms specifically... Uh, it was made by uh, Ed Greenwood, who looks exactly like a wizard. Yes, uh, it is goals. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah, uh, you know, great. Uh, and uh, he, so he made the setting because um, he had childhood stories that he made. Uh, yeah. he created the setting in in 1967, mm-hmm. and it kind of got published in drips and drabs uh, in Dragon Magazine. Right. So Dragon Magazine, we've referenced that a few times. That was the official D and D magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, first official releases for the Forgotten Realms came out in 1987. Same so year I was born. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a, uh, Mazel tov. Mm. Can you imagine if like eventually a thing that you made up your stories for when you were a kid became this? Uh, like 20 years later. <laughs> that would be then, very bizarre. It's super weird. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and then 50 years later, it's, you know, on the tip of everyone's tongues because it's one of the most popular video games. Yeah. Everybody knows Neverwinter, this place that you made up because you thought what if a, what if a city was a little bit too warm? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just very, very quaint. Um, yeah. Um, and it's, it's grown to include just so much, not just tabletop games, not just, um, uh, uh oh gosh, computer, computer games, games that are based games. on those tabletop games. Uh, there are novels, there are comics, the D and D honor among thieves movie, uh, takes place in that, uh, yeah. an, an amazing movie. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. It's not one of the best movies ever made, but no, it's no, way it's, better it's than really it ought fun. to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the best guardians of the galaxy movie. Yes. Uh, we talked about that on adaptation decay, one of our premium shows. Uh, what a pleasant surprise, mm-hmm. uh, that was, uh, we talked about those novels before a little bit. Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, Mr. Salvatore. Um, so Greenwood, when he came up with this idea, it came from the idea of a multiverse. Mm-hmm. Imagine you weren't sick of multiverses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I understand that that is kind of the, the thing to hate du jour right now. Yeah, yeah. But this was pretty cool for the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is that Earth exists. It's one of the realms. Uh, the realms are an alternate Earth, yeah. basically. We have some kind of connections, but we coexist. Yeah. And all of like our legends came from this fantasy wor- world. Mm-hmm. Um, but cannot be accessed. This idea that like, you know, all of our legends of dragons, and vampires and shit mm-hmm. that came from this parallel in the forgotten realms. Right. Um, 
this is this is such an amazing way to kind of marry all of these disparate settings you know the fact that these are all different planes right and you know just one day you're going along and fog is rolling in and suddenly boom here's ravenloft right yes you've hopped over uh the way that these elements can go you know can uh overlap with each other uh you know the fact that like oh you're here on this planet and it's the forgotten realms but way way off in space here you've got spelljammer right yes just a way to keep this world big and full of possibilities and make it so you can borrow cool stuff for your own stories yes which which is the the always the promise of a multiverse yes you know that is the cool thing you can do mm-hmm. with it um and this was real new for D, mm-hmm. like even though it is kind of a default kind of fantasy setting there's a lot of kind of generic fantasy that happens within forgotten realms it has a really wide array of kind of cultures, not just in terms of planes like you're talking about, but even just on the prime material plane right. of this. Um, previous settings, so Greyhawk is a monolith. Mm-hmm. Greyhawk is Greyhawk. But here, there are different cultures and little subsettings right. uh, in the realms. Yeah. Uh, a good book to uh, check out to give you kind of a, an overview here. Uh, just currently published ones you can get in any store that sells D&D books. The Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide uh, gives mm-hmm. a good overview of this. So the this takes place on the planet of Toril, but really the only part of it is this mega continent called Faerun. Right. Yes. Uh, and the most famous stories that we have from this take place on the west coast of Faerun, uh, the Sword Coast, uh, and all of its kind of major cities that run up and down. So these names of fantasy cities that you recognize from games, Neverwinter, Baldur's Gate, you have the Kingdom of Am with Athkatla, uh, kind yes. of going up and down alongside the Sword Coast. Uh, And then you can go like in different directions, you know, inland to the savage frontier for fuck's sake. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. 1967. You're 1987. We, we, we're different, you know? Yeah. You have the the islands off the East coast. If you want pirate stuff, Uh, you got the sea of stars, the inland sea, uh, where cool stuff happens. Yeah. Yep. Uh, And so much so that like Icewind Dale, we got our ice kingdom, uh, Al-Kadim, Mm -hmm. which is the, uh, the middle Eastern setting with a gin. Essentially, mm-hmm. Arabian Nights, the south, uh, Thay to the east. And then beneath most of uh, Toril is the Underdark, one of, uh, you know, the great, uh, the most enduring creations of the Forgotten Realms. Yeah. Uh, just the idea of this vast underground, like, B-side to the planet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, love it. Love the Underdark. It is an incredibly dangerous place with its own ecosystem, its own versions of the different uh, the different peoples up there. It's where yes. the drow are. So you get Menza yes. Berenson and stuff. Uh, it's great. Yeah. So uh, having this big melting pot makes the setting incredibly versatile. Yeah. You know, um, and that has made the appeal really enduring. You know, the other, so you can use this for basically anything you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, if you want to do a story that is Arabian Nights flavored, you can set it in Al Qadim and then it will not break immersion if later those characters travel. Yeah. You know, something like that. Or if you have one uh, player in your game who wants to play, uh, a swordsman, mm-hmm. you know, like a, like a, a Al-Kadim, a scimitar, you know, yeah, swordsman. Yeah. You want to play, 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 play something yeah. from that fiction. Want to be a dervish. Uh, they can, mm-hmm. you know, the, there's nothing that breaks the fiction yeah. to that. Uh, the other kind of major pillar of its appeal is the depth of its development. Yes. Um, the Forgotten Realms are one of the more detailed settings mm-hmm. uh, in fiction kind of full stop. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it, it's the most, but it is really up there. Yeah. 
Um, it has just been going on, you know, in his head since 1967, drips and drabs before that, but officially since 1987. That is a very long time for a setting to be iterated on and developed. Yeah. So 36 years of not just like one person's creation, you know, it, it's you know, Greenwood's basis, but like this is collaboratively developed by, you know, countless authors. Uh, by whole teams of people developing the worlds for these splat books um, and for, uh, you know, the campaign, uh, the campaign books, right? Yes. Uh, so many people's inputs, you know, just looking at a space on the map and saying, what could go here? Uh, and then developing that, looking at whole aspects of religions and their gods. You know, when we say like, oh, there's like basic fantasy and stuff here. Like, I don't know. Look at some stuff that happens in Mask of the Betrayer with, you know, the wall of lost souls who didn't believe in any God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth saying. This is uh, I I think of it as basic fantasy plus. Yes, yeah. You know, like any individual screenshot, you might see a Robin Hood mm -hmm. hanging out in a forest and just be like, "Oh, that guy's a hunter." He's yeah. a Robin Hood. I go. I know Robin Hoods. I got Robin Hoods for days. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you poke, there's weird shit. Yes. And one of the things I think that you know, taking it back to Baldur's Gate three, one of the wise things I think the game did was indulge in a lot of the weird shit. Yeah. Um, you know, because you want to see the little scene corners mm -hmm. of this world. You want to see the things of most interest. It operates as a primer for a lot of that. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the goal for this, you know, the idea for this was to create a fantasy world that is as detailed as the real world. Right. And it didn't quite get there, but the real world also contains multitudes. Mm -hmm. So making it contain multitudes was necessary for that. Right. Um, there are big characters kind of these temple names that are known throughout the lands. Uh, they've been characters in books, uh, you know, pop up and cameos in different places. Uh, the primary two are uh, Elminster Almar, uh, mm -hmm. who is a, uh, like an arch archmage kind of guy. And then Drizzt Durden. Yes. Uh, so Elminster uh, is Ed Greenwood's self-insert character. Uh, he's uh, a little bit like an, an old Gandalf wizard. But he's yeah. more mischievous. He's not as Gandalfy as Fizban is from yes. uh, from from Dragonlance, but yeah. <laughs> uh, he founded the Harpers, which are a, a society of do-gooders. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's a goofball. No, yeah. uh, he he plays jokes. He's enigmatic. Uh, he uh, sleeps around. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of things about Elminster uh, dipping his wick <laughs> nonstop. Yep. Um, and uh, because Ed Greenwood is one of those good dorks mm -hmm. like the the youtube youtuber townsend uh <laughs> he published a bunch of stuff in dragon magazine implying elminster was a real guy he knew mm -hmm. and had dinner with him yeah uh he's also like dressed as him like appeared as him oh, and yeah. stuff yeah it's so it's very lord british mm -hmm. you know uh <laughs> which is just there's a lack of self-consciousness that i yeah. envy uh, I, I think it's a lot better than Lord British because he didn't make himself a lord. <laughs> you he know? Did, well, he did make himself the most powerful mortal on the realm. But not uh, nobility. Not know. nobility. It, it's a little <laughs> bit better praxis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but Elminster's around. If you want very good Elminster content, uh, Volo's Guide to Monsters is a very yes. good uh, source book. Uh, Volo is this, uh, he's, he's a character in Baldur's Gate 3. We'll get to spend some time with him. But he's this big ham of a bard who embellishes all these stories about monsters and things. Uh, and uh, uh, Elminster has notes, like arguing with Volo in the in the margins of this. And it's really good just calling him an outright fool. <laughs> yeah. Why isn't the more powerful? 
Uh, like you're just devour the less powerful one. Yeah. One of the things my friend Levi, who I play tabletop games with, whenever he t- wants to describe a generic fantasy realm, he's like, "We got Elminsters for days." Uh, and just the idea of oops, too many Elminsters is really fun to me. Um, Elminster is kind of the star of the setting. Has been in all the Baldur's Gate video games. Yeah. Uh, in a small sense, uh, the other setting and ter- star in terms of like breakthrough and definitely in terms of novels is Dritzt. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Drist, uh, he is. <laughs> so, all right, this is this is a little anachronistic. In D&D, there is the idea that based on your race, you, race, you are good or evil. Yes. <laughs> now, uh, this is very out of fashion right now, and D&D has been walking this back uh, forever. Um, inconsistently, but they're making an effort. <laughs> they're, doing, they're, they're inconsistently walking it back. They are making an effort. Uh, yeah. it's worth noting here up front as well. We're not saying you got to hand it to wizards of the coast no, by any means no, or anything no. like that. Like we're fans of this stuff, but we recognize it's problematic elements for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, this is one of those things where, uh, Dritz was a breakthrough character because he was a non evil member of this race. Right. Uh, um, that was something that was always existed within the game. Mm-hmm. You know, like one of the things that's very interesting about dungeons and dragons to me in learning the history of it is that from the start, you know, people crave rules mm-hmm. and people crave uh, like stat blocks and boundaries for this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the the early stuff that Gygax was doing was put out with that in mind. Yeah. People would call him, like you would just look up his phone number mm-hmm. in, in Geneva, Wisconsin, and call him and say like, hey man, uh, there, I, I want to have a, a player who wants to have a goblin that's like a good guy. Can, yeah. can you do that? You know, and and he would be like, he would say, this is my opinion, but it's your game. Like you can do whatever you want. I'm not the Pope of your story. That is always, exactly. That's always been the part. So to have an official kind of recognition of that was weirdly important. Yeah. Uh, Even though at tables I played at and everyone I've ever talked to has played for a long time, alignment was a guideline. Yeah. Like we never played that there were creatures who were just inherently evil. Yeah. yeah. There might be an evil band of goblins, but Mm -hmm. there could also be just guys. Yeah. And it was just fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Drizzt grew up in Menzo Berenson, uh, uh, Drow, uh, you know, city of the Dark Elves, right? Uh, and left, defected from it because of, you know, the tyranny and the uh, just uh, uh, evil stuff that they were doing there, right? And then went to the surface and became a ranger. Debuted in the uh, um, uh, Icewind Dale trilogy in 1988 by R.A. Salvatore. Uh, the Crystal Shard uh, being that, and then kind of got his own uh, like origin trilogy uh, about growing up in Mensa Barons and like roaming in the Underdark. Again, very good books to read when you're in eighth grade. Yes, eighth grade <laughs> is a great time to be. Yes. Uh, he's got buddies. He's got a little adventuring party. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brunor the Dwarf, uh, Caddy Bree, uh, Wolfgar the Barbarian, and Regis the Halfling. Yeah. Uh, yeah Regis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's got foils, uh, and, yep. uh, antagonists, Artemis and Cherry, the Assassin, Jarlaxle the Drow, uh, a swashbuckler. Um, uh, neat characters for these books that uh, yeah. I'm sure don't hold up, but ho- have a place in my heart. You could do one of the things I think about is if I were like locked in a room. Mm-hmm. You could do worse than just having a bunch of 80s fantasy paperbacks. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. You know, like that, that, that would be so mm-hmm. bad. I don't think I could handle that. Yeah, uh, yeah. The uh, yeah, does not show up in this, uh, but he is in Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but he looms larger of the Forgotten Realm setting. It's very hard 
Uh, yes. he, he, he was so <laughs> God. Uh, back when uh, when I was a kid, uh, we would rent games from the uh, the rental store at the front of Kmart, right? Yes. And I was going through all of the uh, all of the RPGs, right? Final Fantasy and um, uh, Super Mario RPG or whatever. And uh, like every one of them that I rented had a ha- had a save name uh, with the name Drist on it. Yeah. So there was somebody who lived in my town was a huge fucking <laughs> Ari <laughs> Salvatore fan who just yeah. named all of his save files and characters Drist. <laughs> And also, of course, you're, if you're listening to this, you know this because it has remained the most popular baby name uh-huh. for two decades running. Oh, yeah. The chances that somebody named Drist is listening to this is basically 100. Drist, go get your sister, Eris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> D- yeah. Well, we had to give up Daenerys for adoption after the end of that show. <laughs> so they- <laughs> yeah. Um, spoiler- ruin that kid. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Um, the, uh, so the, the setting... Uh, that is the default D&D setting, isn't the only setting that D&D video games mm-hmm. have been made of, but it is uh, the setting that the first uh, officially licensed D&D video game came yes. out, uh, uh, Pools of Radiance. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many series uh, that yeah. take place in this setting. Um, Eye of the Beholder, uh, Dark Alliance, Icewind Dale, Neverwinter Nights, uh, some mm-hmm. of that we've covered yeah. on Watch Out for Fireballs, and uh, most germane to this game, Baldur's Gate. Right. Let's talk about the Baldur's Gate series. Yeah, uh, this stuff is uh, important. Mm-hmm. Uh, weirdly, it doesn't necessarily seem to be immediately, right. but this, there, the, this background is important to the game. Right. Um, this is a series of computer role playing games uh, developed by Bioware and Black Isle, Bioware slash Black Isle uh, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a lot about uh, the history and development of that back when we covered Baldur's Gate Two mm-hmm. in the winter of twenty eighteen. Um, I also talked about the first game. Um, I had a blog called the Infinity Engineers. If you put uh, Infinity Engineers Baldur's Gate mm-hmm. into Google, uh, it pops up. So yeah. you can get a recap of the first game uh, and talk about the development in those two sources. Right. Um, and those play very differently. Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. Uh, those are real time mm-hmm. with pause. Um, and you know, quest structure and stuff is, uh, is, is a little bit different. Uh, but what's important is the plot. Um, yes. because like you don't absolutely need to play Baldur's Gate one and two to enjoy what is going on oh, in Baldur's not Gate. Not even at all. Yeah. Mo- most people will not. Right. And I, I totally recognize that. This is I don't want that to stop anybody from playing it. No. You know, no. it's one of those things where like I can I can be prone to that. Mm-hmm. Um I think Baldur's Gate one and two are good games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, two masterpiece in its own right, you know, for when it came out. Uh and there's thematic and flavor connections, but you do not need to do that. Right. This is a standalone story where you're rewarded for that history, but you don't need it. Yeah. Uh, you're rewarded for that for spoiler reasons. Yes. <laughs> um, it's worth uh, just summarizing really quickly those two games because mm-hmm. I don't want people to have to play them. Right. Uh, you know, uh, the first game uh, concerned itself with an orphan, uh, Grian's Ward. Yes. Uh, who finds out that they are one of the children of Baal, the god of murder. Right. One of the dead three. It's Ball, Merkel, and ah, God, I gotta forget the other one. Shit. Yeah, the, uh, the other guy. Yeah, the other uh, guy. You know, Mumbly uh, Joe. Yeah, Killy Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Murdery Joe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, Ball, Merkel, and the third one. Some other yeah. guy. Uh, <laughs> different uh, forms of death. Yes. Um, but yeah, you grew up uh, kind of under the wing of this uh, guy named Garion at uh, Candlekeep, uh, this famous like library of lore. Um, on the Sword Coast, uh, but you get involved uh, with this other ball spawn, a guy named uh, Sarabok, uh, yes. who is trying to start a big war. The idea is that this big war will cause a lot of murder, and because of all that murder, he'll be able to come become the new lord of murder. 
kind of doing a kind of doing a Ghostbusters too a little bit, a little bit, yeah, uh, you know, and just that that uh, you know, arms dealer trying to create, you know, a war, yeah, uh, kind of thing. Um, this introduces a lot of characters that'll be important for the entire franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so uh, we got Jahira, Minsk, Vakonia, Zeravak. These characters will show up right. again. Uh, Baldur's Gate Two opens up with a wizard named Ironicus uh, who kidnaps the ward and his adopted sister in a plot to steal their souls uh, mm-hmm. to get revenge on the society of elves that had cast him out. Right. Uh, and it's ambitious. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, it's a continuation. One thing that's cool about Baldur's Gate 1 through, um, uh, oh gosh, Throne of Ball, the expansion for 2, is that you go from being like literally fighting rats and kobolds up to being an interplanar hero. Yes. Right. Uh, this picks up. Um, and you are taking on bigger challenges in a broader swath of the Sword Coast, uh, and even venturing far afield. Yeah, uh, you know, it. it uh, you're you're only in Baldur's Gate for a portion of it, right? Yeah. Uh, the, no, uh, you don't even. You don't. Oh yeah, uh, yeah no, you're Nathlaka. You don't visit. Nathlaka. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Baldur's yeah, Gate is just the name. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're down. Uh, you're down in. Uh, you're down in Am. Yeah. 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 Uh, the shadows of Am. Mm-hmm. Um, this introduces, uh, that main plot point with Ironicus and the elves is not so important, but we are getting a lot of lore and kind of ecology of the ball spawn. Right. Ball. Yeah. There. Well, what does it mean that this God of murder went around and just, just went to town spilled? Yeah. Like yeah. absolute seed yeah. uh, here. Um, you know, we know about the power and they're like, what do we do with all these children? <laughs> uh, you know, all of Ball's illegitimate kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Baldur's Gate 2 has this old school expansion, the kind they don't really make anymore, yeah. called Throne of Ball, which is basically about half as long. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe a third to a half as long. Uh, it's basically Baldur's Gate 2.5. Yeah. Um, it, out of all of these, it's the one, the, you know, the fewest people have played. Yeah. Even though it is important to the, the plot. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the idea is you have all these ball spawn around and yep. some of them have realized that as other ball spawn die, uh, each of the remaining ones gets more powerful. So it's like this demigod tontine that is going on. Yes. Yeah. Uh, because ball could not keep it in his pants. Nope. Um, yeah. Piss is stored in the ball. Mm. Um, yeah. The uh, yeah. ball was balling. Yeah. Uh, the climax of the story, the ward who you've been following potentially since level one, who's like level 30 now, yeah, uh, is given the choice of ascending to Ball's position. Uh, you can then, you can give up your power, become immortal. You can become the God of death, but subvert it into something like a more righteous mm-hmm. version. Um, this is a, a cosmological level story. Yes. The, the appeal of playing Baldur's Gate one through three or one through throwing a ball is to play Dungeons and Dragons and spend time with a character at all stages of power. Yeah. Um, that kind of arc that you go through in a Metroid game mm-hmm. of starting with low power and getting those things, you do that over a much wider scale. Right. Uh, and a much bigger gulf of power mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, uh, that is the fun. Right. There. Yeah. Um, elements of this tie into Baldur's Gate 3, but not in ways that are going to be immediately apparent. Uh, yes. You know, the ball spawn, uh, you know, it's not the main character of this, right? No. Yeah, the uh, so we're going to get into those things. Mm -hmm. But one of the strengths of the setting is that they could focus on something other than this and still have it be Baldur's Gate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's the the necessary background, we think, for this. Um, You know, this episode zero, that's that's the end. Um, 
you know, if you are saying like, why didn't you talk about how horny this is? Why didn't you talk about the gods of the realms? Why didn't you explain the mechanics? All that stuff we're going to be covering each week mm-hmm. in uh, drips and drabs starting next week. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to the structure that we have for this. Uh, you know, I really prize variety and each episode is going to uh, have a, uh, a kind of kind of a wide berth, I think. Yeah. And fun to research. Yeah. You know, uh, just the the idea of like, oh, like I, I my my job for this week is to learn about skeletons. Yeah. Twist my fucking arm. Yeah. Uh, oh, I need to reference five of the books that I have on my shelf here to like get <laughs> yeah. the information about this. Fuck yeah. What's Volo, what's Volo have to say about them, mind players? Yeah, this little shit's up to it again. <laughs> <laughs> what them brains taste like, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're going to take a real deliverance turn. What those brains taste like, boy? Uh, Volo. With Volo. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, yes. this. Uh, this is exciting and nerve wracking for us and we hope it works and we hope you like it. Yeah. Um, so as we said at the beginning, we are listener supported. Uh, if you're hearing this, you can go and back us at patreon.com slash duck TV, get access to those whole series. Probably first two or three episodes are going to be free for everyone. So you can get a taste, uh, but you don't just get this show going on, you know, mm-hmm. releasing roughly an hour, uh, once a week, uh, you get access to a whole bunch of stuff, a uh, whole back catalog of bonfire side chat, the show that this is kind of replacing a little bit as that goes into more of a seasonal structure. Yes. Um, yeah, uh, which is about uh, the Dark Souls series, but also we just finished up a massive two-year-long season about Elden Ring as well. Yep. Uh, you get our show about horror movies, monthly show called Unfilmable, uh, talking uh, just uh, once a month, talking about uh, a horror movie, going back and forth, choosing our topics on those. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, premium episodes, so once a month on our flagship show, Watch Out for Fireballs, we have one of those episodes that is for patrons. Mm-hmm. You'll get those as well. Yes. Um, and those are some real, you know, we put out great episodes, I think all month, but, mm-hmm. uh, there are some real bangers yeah. in there. Um, that is at the $5 tier, uh, $10 gets you adaptation decay, which mm-hmm. is where we talk about how video games are adapted into other, uh, mediums. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where we talked about the D and D movie, several other D and D movies. Yep. <laughs> there are worse ones. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, video game adaptations. Uh, this is the place to find out that there was a cartoon about shit. There shouldn't have been a cartoon about. Yeah. Yeah. Recent banger episode was the, uh, the Rubik's cube, uh, yes. episode. They made a cartoon about that back in the eighties. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, uh, you can tune in and find mm-hmm. out, uh, how they did that. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Blue Sky. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the, the primary one I've chosen. Uh, I'm yes. just Gary Butterfield mm-hmm. at bksy.social. Yeah. Uh, and I am Cole Ross. That is K-O-L-E-R-O-S-S. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and also I stream uh, regularly. If you prefer video content kind of stuff, I stream about horror games on the weekends. We have the Duckfeed TV Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv slash Duckfeed TV. Yeah. And uh, big thanks to Gwen. Yeah. Uh, Gwen is our producer who edits the show and our other shows. We appreciate her. We do. Uh, yeah. So cool. Uh, yeah. We hope to no see sign you. Off. No we, sign we, off. We, we, no, yeah, we don't, we don't have it yet. We're still figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, so maybe soon. Maybe soon. Uh, we hope to yeah. uh, see you next week. Yeah. Good, goodbye. <laughs>